0: When you have the leverage to walk away from something for a two weeks or for two months or for a semester, like when you can do that financially, you can negotiate pretty amazing things. You wouldn't believe the kinds of questions you can ask and actually get a yes.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane.
2: And I'm Garrett Philbin. We want to give you a space to explore your relationship with money, the guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear. No topic is taboo. In this episode, we chat with Chad Carson, the author of Retire Early with Real Estate, a book that teaches others to retire early, just like he did using real estate investing. Chad and his family recently spent almost one and a half years living abroad in Ecuador. We chat about what it means to do meaningful work and how creating a money life manifesto can help you live your best life. We also talk about how financial independence, and by extension, real estate investing, are merely tools to help you get what you want, but are not the actual destination.
1: All right, Sarah here. I'm legit obsessed with books. It's personally helped me thrive in my then side hustle and now full-fledged business. And get this, double my income this year. I wish back then I had what I'm sharing with you now, that you can get two free audiobooks. I mean, talk about bootstrapping your business. To get these two free audiobooks, all you have to do is sign up for a free 30-day Audible trial. Even if you don't continue the membership, you'll get to keep those books absolutely free. To start your free trial, go to www.beyondthedollar.co backslash Audible. That's www.beyondthedollar.co backslash A-U-D-I-B-L-E.
2: To check out resources we shared in this episode, including a guide to using your values in your financial decisions, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. All right, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar.
1: Chad, welcome to Beyond the Doll. We are so thrilled that you have decided to join us. Well,
0: thank you for having me, Sarah and Garrett. This is awesome. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah. So Chad just launched, I think a few weeks ago, a awesome book called How to Retire Early with Real Estate, which I read in about two days. I'm a super fast reader, but it was an amazing book. And we will be talking a little bit about that. But what we're more interested in is how, Chad, you have used financial independence or even mini retirements and real estate as a vehicle for living a more meaningful life. So really excited to dive into that with you today.
0: Yeah, me too. Can't wait.
1: All right. So I'm gonna grill you about your book because I read it. <laughs> Is um, you know, in the beginning of the book, which I thought was really fascinating, you were talking about the idea of deciding between medical school and having more time to work on meaningful projects. So can you just really elaborate to our listeners what that means?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was probably typical for a lot of people when you get out of school, whether that's high school or college or some other transition, you know, you're in that little bit of an identity crisis. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life at this point? And for me, it was just sort of a, I wanted to delay the big decisions. Like I was a biology major, pre-med. And so I thought I was going to go to medical school. That was just what I was interested in. It was just a fun topic for me, but I just wasn't ready to commit to all that school and the debt and all that. And so I decided to, Kind of become an entrepreneur and do real estate investing a little bit just figure out how to flip some houses and find deals for other people and i didn't have a lot of money to do it but the thing that drew me to entrepreneurship was it was really just the flexibility to be able to to do what you said meaningful projects and it's really changed over time but at the time it was very simple like i I like to do things like playing basketball pick up basketball for two hours in the middle of the day (laughs) Is it, you know, mid-20s, early 20s? I was like, and actually at 38 years old, I still like to do that. But that that was the kind of thing that was like, that's awesome, you know, it doesn't cost a lot of money. But if you go to some job where you're having to pay your dues and work for somebody else, like I knew I wouldn't be doing that kind of stuff as much. And so, you know, it started off as that. It sort of grew into other things. Like when I met my girlfriend, who's now my wife. We both love to travel and she studied abroad a lot, spoke Spanish, taught Spanish. And so that was just a really interesting concept for me that I wanted to go abroad and travel. And so it's, I guess the kind of long and short of it is I knew there'd be all sorts of different things that would be interesting or meaningful at different points in my life. I didn't know what those were going to be, but I knew that money was related to that. And I knew that having some kind of control of it by saving it, by investing it, by working as an entrepreneur would give me more flexibility to kind of pursue that, whatever stage I was in at that point.
1: Awesome. I'm really curious, like why real estate out of all the millions of options out there? Well, I
0: I was fortunate in that I had family members who had rental properties. So my father and my my mom had rental properties. My mom was a dentist, so she had her own practice. And so I kind of saw her kind of behind the scenes of that. And she made good money with that. And my father had rental properties for the two of them. And so they kind of had a team where they did that, and I wasn't necessarily like thinking I was going to go into that going into college. But as I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you get out of college, you start like looking at what your parents do. And like, I had the good fortune of having a good example to say, oh, all right, that's interesting, that works. And he had some books on the shelf that I was just started reading and kind of just was curious about. And so I was able to sort of, take off from there, ask him questions and learn from him. And, and I ended up going off on my own after the first year and doing my own stuff. But just that, that piqued my interest. And I just saw that it was possible because I was able to see that somebody else owns rental properties. It works. It could work for me potentially. And I want to add one, one more thing because that, that's the beginning of the story. But the bigger reason why I stuck with it was is real estate is sort of part investment and part entrepreneurship. And so like it worked for me as an entrepreneur who I just needed to put food on the table. Like my father and, and mother, they were buying like rental property for long-term wealth. And it wasn't really like a money maker right away. For me, I, I needed to make money off of it. And so real estate is really flexible that way. You can turn it into a business. You can flip houses. You can get your real estate license. You can manage properties. You could fix up properties. So there's a lot of ways to, if you're willing to hustle at it, you can make money. And that's what I did. I basically became a deal finder where other investors had the money. I didn't really have the money, but I would go out and find the deals for them and make a little small fee for that. And so it started off as that, but then it it grew. And that's what I liked about it. It was very flexible. And I, I, as much as I want, whatever my kind of goals personally, financially look like, I could sort of evolve them within real estate investing. And so it's evolved now to where I'm not the deal finder working as hard as I used to in terms of this day-to-day stuff, but I'm able to transition to become a more passive investor who owns properties that produce income and then let other people pay other people to do some of the more active work.
2: Yeah. You mentioned in the beginning how freedom and flexibility were really important to you as these values, as you were going and finding a job or looking into what kind of career you were doing. I feel that a lot of people don't even believe that that's necessarily possible for them. So as you were starting out, because you got into real estate investing pretty much after college, is that right? That's correct. Yes. Were you able to kind of find that time for midday basketball or find that time to do traveling early on in what you were doing? Or did you kind of have to hustle for a while and then find the space to do that? I feel that sometimes there's this gap for people where they feel they want the freedom and flexibility, but they're just like, I don't know how to even put this into what I'm doing right now. And it just seems unattainable necessarily
0: yeah that's, that's a really good question um, so for me, like it was both like i I did hustle like I was working as a new entrepreneur I mean some people think they're going to leave their full time job like their forty to fifty hour a week job and then go be an entrepreneur and like control their schedule and there is a sense of control and that you get to decide when you do things, but I probably worked sixty to eighty hours a week instead of you know the forty to fifty hours a week, so I worked more but to your point, like I did have a lot of flexibility. Like I I still, if, if I wanted to build my whole schedule around two hours in the middle of the day playing basketball, I did. And I did that the first year or two in my business when I was still hustling and still working hard. And But as time went on, I was able to sort of reduce, you know, I didn't have to work the 80 hour weeks all the time. And I think that's the same with any job. Like when you first start a traditional job or you first start an entrepreneurial kind of career, you're always going to work harder and more upfront because it just you do it takes longer to do everything. Like it just took me longer to figure out things, just like when you're new to anything. And so I think there's some efficiencies that come later on, but there's there's certainly I have found a difference between most traditional jobs and entrepreneurial type job and that flexibility. Like so even though I was working hard, I, I was a boss, like I I kind of set the expectations on how what my schedule looks like. I was the one who made an appointment with somebody or to meet with them at a certain point to buy their house or to rent the house. So I think that's an appeal of entrepreneurship. But on the other hand, like the, I've always heard it said, like, there's a, like two sides of the coin of freedom and flexibility, like on the other side of that is responsibility. And so you have freedom, but then you have this like 100% responsibility on you, like every day when you wake up, it's like 100% on you to go make some money and to pay the bills. And that's really terrifying for a lot of people. And I actually enjoyed that. I guess maybe I'm just, you know, just like, like that kind of challenge. <laughs> is kind of crazy, <laughs> that's not for everybody. And so I think most people don't like to jump off the cliff with the parachute and test the parachute. Most people kind of ease their way out there and kind of dabble in it, side hustle. Uh, you just have to know your own personality and also where you are in life. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a family. I think if I started my real estate business now having kids, it would be a completely different equation.
1: I love that. So I mean Garrett and I actually recorded a few episodes on responsibility. And it's so interesting you brought that up about the idea of feeling like, oh, my gosh, it's so terrifying, 100% responsibility. I mean, at the same time, I think it depends on your perception, because when you are a nine to five, there is some level of responsibility for yourself. And so maybe the perception is you're 100% responsible for your own life, but it may seem riskier or not, depending on. How you want to earn money, or even how to want to use money to create that meaningful life—you know, whatever that is. So that ties really nicely into the next part of the book that I loved was the idea of the money life manifesto and the golden mean of money. So, why don't can you elaborate on that? And then, has that changed for you since you know you you graduated to now?
0: Sure. Yeah. So this is really about my own kind of journey with money and trying to figure out what it meant for me. And I've gone through phases where. I've emphasized money probably way too much, like I've given it too much importance, too much of my time, too much of my concern. And then I've had other times where you kind of go back the other way to the other extreme and you're like, eh, who cares about money, whatever, it's not that important. And so I I was trying to just think about this and I I actually went, I'm kind of a philosophy nerd, like I like reading old philosophy and Aristotle and like the Stoics. and, And so Aristotle had this idea in his book on ethics about like, for example, courage is a virtue. It supposedly is a good thing, right? Courage. But you can have too much courage. You can have, you know, go jump off the cliff without a parachute. That would be like, you know, very rash. That would be probably very stupid. But then you have the other side of the coin, like being too little courage is being a coward and not ever facing your fears and not jumping out there and doing things. And so i I've thought about that. I said, you know, money is very similar in that way in my life. You know, if I give it too much emphasis, if I let it control my life, I'm going to work all the time. I'm never going to have enough. I'm going to be on this rat race my entire life, and money's going to be my my whole life. And I think a lot of people kind of find themselves in that boat for some, right, at least at one point. And then other people might find themselves and the money is not important. Hey, money's not everything, right? That's it's not that big a deal. Well, you know what? Like all the things that are important these days in our economic system do pass through money at some point, at least to a small extent. Even if your life is revolved around completely altruistic type motivations, like money can help you with those and money can you have to pay the bills, you've got to buy some food. So like that, the goal to meet of money for me was like, all right, let's just try to find for me that happy place. And I think it's different for everybody, but a happy place where you're not emphasizing money too much, but you're also not emphasizing money too little. And, and try to, it's, it's not a, it's not, a, it's something that's kind of in flux, you know, you, it changes over time, but I read a book called uh, Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin, you guys have written, you know, it's pretty popular, but they, they had this, this kind of graph in that book that really struck home with me. And is is this curve basically called the enough curve. And when you get to the top of the curve is where like every time you're moving up the curve, like for every dollar you make or every, you know, extra money you get, you're getting more happiness and more fulfillment. But then you get to the top of that curve and every extra dollar you make there, you get more clutter and more stress and more complexity. And so your happiness and fulfillment starts going down. And that's similar to the idea of the golden mean is that you have to find that place where you've got all your needs met, where you have enough to kind of cover the contingencies, but then you're actually focusing on all those things beyond money, which is the original reason you got into it in the first place.
2: Yeah, and I wanna note that you know when you started you said, yeah, I was taking some time in the middle of the day to play basketball or do whatever you wanted and also still working those 60 to 80 hour work weeks. And I think it's, we talked about this, I think in episode six, Sarah, where it's like work-life balance isn't necessarily a thing. It kind of, I think more like you get in a flow and sometimes there are gonna be weeks, months, year or so when you're really putting in a ton of time and accepting that that is what it is and not making ourselves wrong for it is really important. But the big thing that I heard when you were sharing that was that you still made time even during those periods of a lot of work, to do the things that were important to you, and I think that that's something where you know if you hadn't then you might not have flexed that muscle in a way that later on in life you know you've done a lot of travel you've taken many retirements, and so it's to me i'm not sure if you would have necessarily have been able to And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Like, do you think that you would have been as good at making time for yourself later on if you hadn't been so diligent about making time for yourself early on?
0: I agree a hundred percent. And I I didn't realize it at the time, but I I just was following, Hey, this is what I like to do. But you're exactly right that it's like a muscle. And and I think I can speak for myself as somebody who's kind of a little bit tendency towards like type a and like go getter and like goal setting. And that's just my personality. Like for me, particularly, and maybe other people who are listening to this who fit into my category a little bit, like you have to figure out some things that are like not just a goal oriented. Go-getter kind of stuff that you also enjoy because for me, like, it's not that like real estate and building wealth is easy, but like that's my sweet spot. Like, I I can do that. It's just I'm in flow when I'm doing that. But yet, you know, when you become a father and you're sitting there with your daughter and they're playing princess and dressing you up, and you have to sit there for two or three hours, and it just find something to enjoy about that. Like, that's awesome too. And so, like, both of those are, are different places, and they're important one's really easy to quantify. Hey, let's go buy a property. Let's make a certain amount of money. Another one has huge payoffs, both for me as a father, both for my daughter and kind of being present with her and my paying attention to her. And so like, I think playing basketball and kind of prioritizing those a little bit early on, then as I had the opportunity to kind of get to the peak of that enough curve and say, you know what, I'm got my bills paid for things are pretty good. You know, what, what's my identity now? Like, what am I trying to do with my life? Like, who am I? It wasn't as much of like a mystery. It wasn't like a complete mystery. I still have some things to figure out and I still do. But I think practicing it early on to your point is is very helpful.
1: I love that. Let's transition to the whole idea of mini retirement. Because I that I came across that I think I'd like to think a few years ago when I started writing articles and I interviewed you for it and a few other people. And it's just so interesting that because there's a lot of talk about FI, which is financial independence for those of you who don't know it, which is You know, being able to retire early or being able to have enough money in the bank account so that you don't have to work if you don't want to. But I think people are so there's a misconception where you're so caught in chasing that number that you don't take time to live life. Right. Like you were talking about. And so a mini retirement, which is a great idea, because you can take that break or that sabbatical, however you want to call it enjoy your life and sort of get a taste of retirement, but you're still going back to work. So tell us a little bit about when you were, you spent that year in Ecuador with your family and how was it? And what was the biggest lesson learned from that experience?
0: Right. Yeah. So mini retirements was another one of these things that I started dabbling in early on. And it started off as little two week trips and then a month trip. And then 2009, my wife and I took it before we had kids, took a four month mini retirement to South America and backpacked around and traveled and and then last year starting in 2017 for about 17 months my wife and i and our two kids who were three and five when we left and are now five and seven we went to ecuador and lived there permanently basically for that time so all of those have been i, I could talk specifically about that trip like the, the bigger like concept that i love about many retirements was that, you know, like I'm still like a financial climber. Like I'm still trying to, you know, there's this peak of the mountain that we're all trying to get to financially. But then the point you made, Sarah, which is really good is that, you know, if we all, fo- all we focus on is the climbing and that's like focusing on the peak of the mountain the entire time you climb, you're always looking up, looking up and you sort of, we, we know we, we that's a cliche to say that you miss the journey, you miss the, the climb. But so how, how do you appreciate it though? And I think many retirements are a very practical way to sort of be like a plateau along your climb where you force yourself to stop and press pause on your life. And again, going back to me, like the climber type A kind of person, like sometimes we have to physically leave our environment. And I know I do in order to like, you know, like detach myself from that ambition and from what I'm trying to go. And I actually physically remember a moment when that ambition kind of unraveled. It was, it was really weird. It was, I was in Spain with my wife during that four-month sabbatical in 2009. And we were in a place called Cataques on the coast of the Mediterranean coast in Spain. And it was actually a place where Salvador Dali lived and painted a lot of his, you know, his paintings there. So it was just kind of a cool little fishing village. And we spent like seven, eight, days there and we were just doing nothing. Like, we were just waking up in the morning, walking around. I, I remember one day we spent like four or five hours reading a book and like laying, sitting on this bench, like watching the bay and the sunset. And at the end of the day, like we saw this huge, like green meteor, like go across the sky. We're like, God, what is this? Like, I, I'm, I'm not into this kind of thing, but this seems kind of crazy. But like, I physically remember after that, that day just sitting there, it was like, it took me six weeks to like unwind and I felt like a knot like just like kind of untying inside my chest and I thought to myself you know what I'm 29 years old at that that time if that knot was like tying up inside of me at 29 years old I can't imagine what it would be like if I just kept on that same path like five, 10 years and so for me maybe other people are listening to this like taking a break where you give yourself permission to like go do something different like test out retirement a little bit if it's travel for you that's great that's what it is for me If it's, you know, planting a garden, if it's going back to school, if it's doing something completely impractical that has nothing to do with making money, that's okay. And you can test it out without having like permanent, you know, like a regret or results. You know, you're just, all right, good. After two months or six months or a year, you can go back to your normal life. And that's what we did. We went to our latest one was in Ecuador for 17 months. And it was really important to us that our daughters learn to speak another language and are exposed to different cultures and to do that firsthand while they're really young. And so that was just so much fun to see them go to school every day and go to local schools. And first, first five or six months, their language was kind of coming along, but it wasn't great. And then all of a sudden, bam, it was like, you just, all of a sudden they start speaking and they're, they're correcting me. Like I've been speaking Spanish, not great, but at least for a few years. And they're wagging their finger at me saying, Papa, no. They were like embarrassed at my vocabulary. Like dad, I cannot speak good in Spanish. And they're like correcting me. I, I was just, I loved it. I was like, this is great. My four and six year old or five and seven year old are correcting my Spanish. So that was the, those kinds of experiences were and a lot of other ones in between were just amazing.
2: So are mini retirements something that people can do only if they're entrepreneurs? Is it people who are in a nine to five? I I feel like if this is a new idea for someone who's listening, they may be like, how the heck do I even make that possible? So what are some thoughts that you have of people who are like, that's a great idea, but where the heck do I even get started and how can that even look like for me?
0: Yeah, so my wife is probably a good example. When we took our first big retirement in 2009, so she's a, a Spanish professor. She taught at a local community college, and so she was very nervous about this. But we practiced it and thought about it. Like she wanted to go request a, an unpaid sabbatical for a semester, and she just knew that they were going to freak out. And she knew that they were, at the best case scenario, even if they did let her do it, they're going to like, all right, but you don't have a job when you get back. Sorry. And she went and asked her supervisor, told him the situation, said, we've got money saved up. Like, you don't have to pay me anything. If you'd be willing for me to teach when I get back, I'll be back in January. We're leaving in August. And it was like a 10 minute conversation. And they said, okay, like, we'd love to have you this fall, but we'll work it out. And we'll have you. Well, when you come back in January, just, you know, get back, connect, reconnect with me. And she was just like speechless. And she came home, like screaming, like I can't believe it. She didn't, they let me do it. And like, yeah, that's, I mean, and, so I guess my point, this is JL Collins, who's got a blog kind of in the fire community calls this F, F money. This is like when, when you have the leverage to walk away from something for a two weeks or for two months or for a semester, like when you can do that financially, it, it, you can negotiate pretty amazing things. You wouldn't believe the kinds of questions you can ask and actually get a yes. That doesn't mean everybody in a nine to five is going to be able to do that. But if you make yourself valuable in a job, if you're sincere if you have options then go you, people take sabbaticals a lot i mean it's not as abnormal as you might think particularly if you're not you don't have to be paid while you're gone
2: yeah and one other thing i think goes along with that is that if you're asking for permission around something that you're really excited for and passionate about that other people respect that and if you do it in a way where they really can hear like how excited and how passionate you are about this thing then that can also factor into it as well. And like, you can enroll them in this idea and you kind of show them, Hey, I'm willing to take a leap for something that's really important to me. And it can show them that that's also possible in their own lives. Not everyone will respond that way, but I think it's something that that's kind of cool. And more people than not, you know, are kind of impressed or are just like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I had the the courage to go ahead and do that. Right. Exactly.
0: There's going to be a little bit of envy, but also some positive envy sometimes. Oh man, that's all right, good. That's, you know, you should do that. And plus the other thing that my wife did and that I think we should all do is think about it from your supervisor's standpoint. Like what's the challenge of letting you do that and try to, and so it might be, all right, well, who's going to take my place for the next four months? And if you can work on that, if you can offer to check in remotely to help transition that, if you can train somebody else to help replace you. So it's not only like being, having the courage to ask, but it's also having the foresight and the planning to think about the people around you and be considerate of them as well. And if you do that, I mean, if you, if you remove all the obstacles and objections, and then you also ask sincerely and you show that you're going to be back, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to say no in some cases if you really do it correctly.
1: Awesome, Chad. I am totally a big believer in asking for what you want. And worst case is no. Right. And I know that's scary in itself. I totally understand that. But I think the biggest lesson I think I've I've really gotten out of our conversation so far is that just start small, making these little ask or testing it out and seeing if you even like it, because You know, to be honest, I haven't really done a mini retirement. I've traveled throughout, you know, during summer holidays when I was not in school and I loved it back then. I think if I did it now, I probably wouldn't enjoy it as much. So sometimes things can definitely change. But I love, you know, again, in your book, the idea of real estate and even financial independence as a vehicle for getting what you want out of life. And so what if someone is interested in real estate and want to do what you're doing? Like, how have you viewed... Sort of going from making money, like you said, I think you did, you flipped houses. And I think now that you're doing more kind of long term, to get really technical, everyone, uh, the long term buy and hold strategy. So, how did you sort of make that transition? And how did you continually kind of keep that mindset of this is a vehicle for getting what I want out of life in mind?
0: Right. So, I mean, so in general, like we do something to make money. And so, whether that's flipping houses in my case or uh, you somebody's a nurse or somebody's a teacher, you know, a firefighter. I mean, we all have kind of jobs. So that's part one. But part two is at some point you start saving that money and investing it in some kind of vehicle. And so that could be traditional like 401ks, which I like as well, index funds, stocks, bonds, all that kind of traditional stuff. Real estate is just is an alternative. And I think it's it's got some some benefits and some challenges compared to some of those other ones. And just to briefly kind of explain those. One of the benefits is that you have a little bit more control over your path to financial independence with real estate. Like if you going back to the entrepreneurial kind of idea, like if you're willing to take the bull by the horns and like, you know, control that, then you can sometimes retire pretty quickly. Like you can build up an income stream by being an entrepreneur and making some money. And so it's not, it's not this a shortcut, but it's like as hard as you're willing to work and as much as you're willing to invest in it time-wise upfront, real estate can then pay off on the back end. So it's like more of a job and a business on the front end. And then it transitions nicely into a more passive investment down the road. So for example, when I was in Ecuador, I had enough people on the ground who were really awesome helping me to manage my properties. And I had systems built, And so I I typically spend an hour or two per week paying bills from Ecuador and kind of just checking in on things. And, you know, I'd respond to an instant message here and there. But, you know, it was much more passive. And that's, that's for a lot of units. Like if somebody had five or 10 units, it probably would have been even less than what I spent on it. And so that's sort of the, the big picture of real estate is that you have a little bit more control and it also produces income at a much larger rate than some comparable vehicles like stocks and bonds. So, just for example, if you think about it, kind of like putting money in a CD in the bank, like if you today in 2018, you put money in the CD, that might make one or 2% in a CD. Whereas if you took that same cash and bought a decent piece of real estate, you might be able to make six or 8% as an income return. And so that's important for my financial independence and for having flexibility in life, because we've got to, re- if you want to replace your salary from a job, you've got to get income to live off of. And so real estate produces income without you having to sell your properties or do any of that. You can just live off the rental income, which is a very nice sort of pension like transition when you go into an early retirement or a regular retirement.
2: Well, you mentioned some like those being the pros and you also mentioned some challenges with it. So just what are some of those challenges that you mentioned?
0: Yeah. The, the challenge, which I just touched on is that upfront, it is, is not, it's not as easy as pressing a button and buying an index fund in your 401k, like, you know, that's, it's pretty easy, simple to understand that, to do and to execute. Whereas real estate, you've got to learn and you've got to study, you've got to build a team around you. So I would say like during, especially during your first year or two of getting started in real estate, you can expect that to be a side hustle. Like you're going to have to spend some time if you want to do it correctly to learn the business, to get to know it. And so that's, that's not for everybody, right? I mean, if somebody's very, very busy with a job and they, they are 80 hours a week, like it might not be the right time to start real estate outside of their residence. Perhaps you could still do like, you know, something where you buy a residence that could eventually turn into an investment which I like, but you know, going head in you know, full into real estate, when you have other things that are making money might not be possible or feasible. So that's the thing to know is like, how can I carve this time out in my life to spend those couple of years of getting to know it, to learn it. And that's a challenge. And it's also a little bit of a psychological challenge for some people. Like you know, the kind of cliche in real estate is that you have to deal with tenants and toilets and get a call in the middle of the night about somebody's toilets leaking and who wants to do that. And, and so, you know, I have people who take those calls for me. That's the short answer. Like, I don't, I don't get those calls at one in the morning. You don't have to do, you can hire people to take those calls. And, but there's still, there might be like, somebody gets stressed about the fact that the property manager emails them in the morning and says, we have a hot water heater that flooded your bathroom or your you know, your basement last night. You got to spend, you know, a thousand bucks fixing all this stuff. Like if that stresses you, like thinking, having those kind of things happening in the background, then that might not be for you. So you just have to sort of know your own temperament and what you're willing to do in order to get the benefits. And if you are willing to to deal with some of that stuff, then it has a lot of upside.
1: Yeah, and I I love that you talk about really about your temperament and there's so many different ways to invest in real estate. And it was really great just reading all the different stories in the book. So out of all the stories, which one really stood out the most and, and why?
0: Oh man, it's like, it's like picking your favorite kid, right? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Luckily I only have one, so. (laughs) Yeah.
0: uh, One of the things I love, like of all the things in the book, like I sort of saw it as a way to wrap up my own thinking on the subject and kind of articulate what I've been doing. But like getting to interview those 24 people and kind of do what you guys do on your podcast, like learning about stories and, you know, telling stories is was the most rewarding part of the whole book. And I've sort of had these stories almost on a shelf. So I'm having conversations with people and they might say, here's my situation. And I'll say, oh, that's a lot like, you know, uh, Rolando or somebody else. And, and so, but I think the story that came, comes to mind right now for me, for some reason is a lady named Kat Horn, Kat with a K. She was a a attorney, kind of worked in a high powered attorney kind of office for a while. And sort of transitioned, started doing rental properties on the side using her residence. So she would move into a property, I think, and have a duplex or a house with a basement apartment. We, in the, the nerdy real estate world, we call that house hacking. That's a way to like generate income from your your home and still so sort of a hybrid between your house and a rental property. And so she did house hacking and she would move out of one house hack and keep that one as a rental property. And she and her husband built this up on the side and she was able to transition out of her day job had kids, wanted to stay home with the kids more. And so she managed her rental properties. And so that was a really cool story in and of itself, what she did. But she told me after I featured her in the book, she actually emailed me and said, just told, she's like, you're going to let, you know, you really want to hear about this story, Chad, because you talk about how, you know, real estate and financial independence is a vehicle for doing what matters in your life. And who knows what that's going to be? Well, she, her brother was in a really serious accident. It was like in intensive care in the hospital and, her brother's wife had to still work and kind of take care of some things. And so she was able to drop everything, go to another state, spend like a month or two with her brother. And really, he, it was looked dire for a while. And he was able to recover because, partly because she was there and helping care for him and ask questions of doctors. And it was just like a a story about beyond like traveling and doing all these other things, which are pretty awesome. Like, are you going to be able to be there for people in your life when they need you and have that kind of flexibility without it totally derailing everything else in your life? Like that was such a cool story to me and such a, just shows the kinds of things that come up in all our lives that you then have the availability to, to be there for literally maybe helping save somebody's life. That's important to you. That's awesome
2: because it's really beyond the dollar, right? What we talk about is what is money's purpose and what is it going to help you get? And yes, travel, travel, is really important to me, Sarah, and and a lot of people who listen and also family and what are your values and being able to give the time and attention that you want to give when it's needed. I think at least for me, would be one of the most important things. So that's just such a great example of that. And what like that flexibility can really mean for someone and how meaningful that can be just for her, um, for Kat and then for the people who like her, um, her family who's able to receive that. So that's awesome. As we wrap up, I want to kind of in that same spirit, ask you a question that we pose to all of our guests, which is how are you using money then? We've touched on this, but how are you using money to live beyond the dollar?
0: You know, it's, I love that question. And I think I'm kind of living the question at the moment. Like I, I'm not having any clear cut answers, but I think for me, I've been in such a mode of like wealth building and you know achieving and setting goals, sort of like I talked about earlier. Like I'm really exploring this idea of of what I have to give and contribute, and some of that is in a financial means. Like I have a blog and I'm teaching some and doing courses and things like that. But I'm also spending time with my kids and I'm helping figure out what what you know what are they what what do those puzzles look like? How do I help kind of empower them and do what's best for them and I'm also volunteering, like in my local community. I've just identified that there's, and other people in our community have too, that there's not very good walkability and bike infrastructure, and that's really important to our family. And so I'm spending time, like donating my time to help put this. We have a nonprofit, and we're working on that, working hard on it, and trying to make that happen. Like local politics and getting involved. And I had no idea I'd be this passionate about this thing, my local community. But it's awesome, and I'm not making a dime. And so I think the the beyond the dollar for me is like, you know, identifying what those, you know, what do I want to do when I, what do I want to do with myself when I grow up? You know, I'm 38 years old, and I am <laughs> starting over again. And I, I love that. That's such a cool thing. And I, I think if, if everybody, if I could like bottle that sort of being a kid again and like discovery and starting over, like continually, like I hope I can do that for the rest of my life. Like never get caught in this fixed, like just fixed mindset where you're only doing the same thing and, and always like reinventing yourself and starting over. I think that's the best gift that money could give you.
1: Love it. So Chad, can you let everybody know the name of your book and where else can they find you on the interwebs?
0: Sure. The, the book is called Retire Early with Real Estate. Uh, it was published by Bigger Pockets, which is a big real estate investing site. So you can find it on Bigger Pockets, and you can also find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. They're all out there. And then uh, I live at coachcarson.com on the internet. And these kind of conversations are awesome. I love it. So thank you for being able to let me talk about, you know, I talk a lot about real estate investing and then X's and O's and how you do it. And so I'm, that's kind of my expertise. But I also, if you come to the blog, talk about how you use that in the, as a vehicle and what travel looks like and what I'm doing. And sort of just my personal place on the web to, to share some ideas and some philosophy a little bit.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much again, Chad, for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Dollar. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Also, if you feel like putting your money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, then download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters most to you in life, be able to name your most important values, and start thinking about how to only put your money toward those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar.